Hello and welcome to System Mastery, the podcast where we beat four kinds of horse people to death, 1d6 damage at a time. Today, we're going to discuss the little bits of promised sands that managed to stay in our heads. It's some sort of desert, post-apocalypse, future, magic, sci-fi, grim and gritty tale of wonder, and critical failures. There's also three kinds of cat girl. It's System Mastery. Welcome back. I'm your host of System Mastery, Jeff, joined as always by your host of System Mastery, John. Hey, it's time to do this. We're digging in, baby. We're digging into these these sands. These sands are so promised. They have been promised to me, and I am going to dig into them. <laughs> so, boy, it's it's a rare occasion where there's a game that I hand over to John after reading it, and I'm like, John, you're going to hate this. And then he hands it back to me a week later, and he's like, I hate this. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> there was a point where you just read me, like, a thing from this book. Like, it was just a passage. Mm-hmm. And I went, oh, oh, I'm going to hate this yeah, in fact, so much. In fact, if I may read that quote now, John, uh, here we are. Uh, this is a description of krill, which is a word that means like a guard or hunter or something. And it's, they usually wear a simple, loose-fitting gomlek with a pair of searwall and a sturdy kusak for hanging scabbards. A durable set of thick leather sisme are typical. A beach is too respect- restrictive for krill, who tend to opt for a perilin. Fuck this game. Fuck you. Fuck everyone. <laughs> so, so here's the thing. That mostly means like they usually wear boots. Yeah, that normally they're wearing a loose-fitting shirt and pants with some boots on them. That's what that normally means. Now, here's the fun thing you get to learn about that. There's about 400 pages between that that description and when you find out that information. Yeah, I would say this is on page maybe like 100, and on page like 400 is the descriptions of clothes. Well, it's like the second to last page of the book is the descriptions of clothes. There's not a glossary. There's an index, but none of those words are in the index. Instead, they're just randomly found on an inventory table that's just awkwardly sandwiched adjacent to the bestiary at the very end of the book. Well, if there's one thing that this book is great at, it is awkwardly sandwiching things in between stuff. So, okay, this book is based on... I mean, I don't know. Do you want to start with the story or the rules or the tone? Which, <laughs> which, which one of the offensive, terrible things about this garbage fire would you like to talk about? Well, there we'll, is so much to unpack in this game. Yeah, well, it is intense. I guess why don't we start with the you know the, the basics of the story? The basics of the story are that there's it's the far future. Everything's a desert now, except for small pockets of things that aren't. Yeah, it, I mean the general idea because they don't really come out and say it is. It's Earth in the far future after probably a nuclear war, and you live in a strip of land that is habitable. Like, everything to the south of you is just barren wasteland desert. Everything to the north of you is completely uninhabitable, like glaciers. And then you live in a tiny strip of land where you can survive. Yes. Uh, humanity is mostly gone, uh, having been replaced by kind of evolutions, evolutionary offshoots of humanity. Except humans do exist, and they come up out of the oceans. Which is not called the oceans, it's called the wet. Yeah, they come up out that wet. Yeah, so humans come from wet, uh, and they return to wet. And from wet do they live. Aw. 
but uh, <laughs> they have grown accustomed to water. <laughs> <laughs> it but, has taken hold, and they resent it. <laughs> so, but, okay, so humans exist, and they kind of come up every once in a while to, to interact with these crazy new civilizations that have sprouted up that don't have any high-level technology, although d- that don't stop... It doesn't stop the game from having nuclear physics as a skill. Oh, yeah. No, because the game has 281 skills. Yes. If you were wondering if this passes my test for my favorite thing, which is how many skills does it have and does it have a good skill system, boy, howdy, this is one of, if not the worst thing I've seen. I think it's the second worst. I think the worst is Immortal the Invisible War, which had more than 400 skills. Like, but at least with that... A lot of it was skills that are like piloting and then like 20 different types of piloting. This has maybe three different types of pilot, like it's drive boat and drive, you know, camel or some shit like that. Which, by the way, is spelled with a K for no reason. Because it's the future. It's the future and camel spelled with a K. But the, the weird thing for this is the skills aren't split up to be like, oh, I've got medicine and then under that it's like little sub things. Every skill that would be a specialization, maybe in another game, is its own skill here. There are, like, seven different skills for lying to someone. Yes, yeah. There's a different skill for mopping and for mopping a boat. Yeah, you can swab or you can mop, but by God, you cannot do both of them. Never the twain shall meet. If you're a swabby, then you can't can't mop anything unless that thing is ship-shape already. There is, in the, just for musical stuff, there is a skill called music and it's you can read and write music like or not write it's you can read music and play music yes there's another one for being able to write music there's one for being able to write music there's one for being able to read music there's a skill for just reading music even though music as a skill says it encompasses reading music there's a skill for voice which is different than the skill for singing you need both in order to be able to correctly sing a song there is a skill specifically for a type of singing which is Changing the pitch that you do for one note. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's a skill. So, far future, there are far too many skills. Uh, <laughs> and the way you make a character is actually kind of inventive. There's, It's a neat idea that where the execution... You know, it's like if a gymnastics person had a brilliant routine planned out in advance, and then their execution of it was that they didn't show up that day and they died in a McDonald's. <laughs> uh, so, here's this is the this is the basic concept. You get three tiers of where your character is built from, uh, what species they are, what culture they come from, and what careers they've chosen. Yeah. And each one uh, supplies an, about an equal portion to your character development. And I mean that literally. Like, for example, let's say you're a human. You have a D6 for all your stats, if you're a human, from your humanity. Let's say you come from the wet, like all humans usually do. Then you have a D6 for all of your uh, culture stats. Uh, and then let's say you are... None of the classes work. None of the careers work that way. But let's pretend that there was a career set where it gave you a D six for all of your career, your uh, your stats, <laughs> all nine of them. Well, now you have a, you have three D six for each one, and what do you know? That's what you roll. Yeah. So some of the like some of the species will be like, oh, if you're a giant horseman, you might have a D twenty strength. But you know, you could also be a guy who's like, oh, I'm a little wimpy dude, and I've got a D four for a strength. Yeah. But then but that, it, that but guy you could have a job where it's like, oh, but I was. I was a warrior, so the the strength I get from warrior is a D8. Yes. So that's kind of inventive, right? That's a neat idea. I mean, it's a little old school that you're still working with, like, a variety of polyhedrals, and you're still rolling flat. Well, the weird thing to me is the game is all of its resolutions is D10-based. Everything is 3D10, but 
when you're reading through the book at the very beginning, it's like, oh, you'll need 3D10, one of them being a percentile, and you'll want one of them to be a different color than the other two. Also, you'll need every other type of die, but only once to roll your character and then never use them again. Exactly. Uh, you also roll every one of your stats three times and take whichever one you choose. Well, it says that the bard may allow you to do that. Oh, I didn't, yeah. Which is yeah. just the first hint that, boy, well, we'll, this game is, whoo, that tone. We're coming around to tone. That'll that'll be, uh, that'll be on, you know how we are about tone. You, you know how we do. <laughs> so... So it's kind of cool that you can choose between all these different races, cultures, and careers, and that that generates like your stat rolls and stuff. It's kind of cool. It falls apart in execution because it takes forever. Well, one of the interesting things to me when you, I first see it is, oh, you pick your species, and then you pick a culture that you grew up in. And I'm like, oh, well, that's nice, because it means that in this world, you have a super cool blending of cultures you can be whatever and come from different stuff, but oh. then you look at what what you can do growing up in a culture, and almost all of them are like, "Oh, only this race can do this." Okay. Yeah, okay. The only ones that don't either. There's a. They'll talk about how there's a, a a tremendously few number of orphans and foundlings of other races are found within among these ranks of people. They are disregarded and treated poorly. Yeah. Or there's a few that are like just any because they're they're not really cultures but rather magical sects. Well, it'll be something like, oh, this is a city, and this city doesn't care. It's not like, oh, we are this group of people's city. It's just some city somewhere. Yeah. Like, okay, I grew up there. So the most of them are like, oh, uh, the Chak. The Chak is mostly Andwar. If, you are, uh, if, if you're in Chak and you're not Andwar, then it's because you are a stripling. That God kind of... damn. By the way, not since fucking Joe Rune. Have I hated the dumb bullshit words in a game like this? So, yeah, and there's a lot of it that bothers me, too, this time. And normally, I'm all on board with this stuff. The trick is that this book, like I was saying, it's about a page 41 when it tells you what a krill wears, which, again, is a gomlek, some seawalls, a sisme. <laughs> it's on page 418 that they tell you what those are. And they could have just told you, you know, it's a belt. Yeah. Like, it could have put it in parentheses or something, because it's not like they don't do that all the time with everything else. Yeah, there's... <sighs> Their distinctions for, we had a word for this, which, I'll go ahead and do the bird one. The Bruckbeak is what they call a chicken. And even the book is like, says, ah, oh, come on, it's just a chicken. That's a literal quote. Bruckbeak. And then behind that in parentheses, ah, oh, come on, dash, it's just a chicken. However, in the book itself as well later on when it's talking about like game hunting and things like that, it says, oh, and you can go find wild Bruckbeak, or pheasants, or quails, or ducks, or geese. And I'm like, oh, so literally only the chicken got a name change, because it's the only one you thought one for. Yeah, I mean, I, what happened to Hoot Runner? You know, like, that's that's got to be what you call a quail, right? They're there. Come on, what, a, what about them little uh, whistle snappers? Yeah, and, and, and fat flaps. <laughs> you know, we got to have a name for the kind of bird that's kind of like too fat, the, like a turkey, right? Yeah. That's a fat flap. Yeah, fat flap. I mean, come on. Just finish the work, buddy. <laughs> Put the work in. Especially, this is the same thing with that list of clothes. Because like I was saying, you got that sisme and gomlek and so on. Gomlek's a real word. It's a real kind of, like, it's a real, well, like... It is. it means shirt. Yes. It's not even a type of shirt. Which, it just means shirt. Which is sort of inventive, right? Because the idea, for example, another one of his things is a course. K-O-R-S-E. It's a leather lace-up bodice that women can wear. Which means it's just the future bastardization of corset. Yeah, and there's, like, Pyjan, which is just pajamas. Yeah, so that's sort of cl clever, but then, you know, he doesn't finish the job. 
No, because like, he also has like also there's just turbans. Yeah, uh, or a boot. You're like okay, <laughs> you can't you can't have sismes and then also a dude who wears boots. Like fucking commit or don't. And, and ultimately, the right way to do it is to commit at the end of the book with a big list of optional terms for everything in the world if you want them. Yeah, so if that you, you can want understand a the book of yeah. that shit or. In your uh, specifically, if you're doing one of those, like here, we're gonna write a uh, like a passage from one of the characters' perspectives, and you do one of those, uh, just you know, a creative writing story. Okay, sure, he can use the slang, and that's fine, and that gives you context clues for it. Because if all you give me is a list of words and say a dude wears them, I'm like, is this a hat? Are these underwear? I don't know what the fuck you're talking well, he's about. Even, he's like, and a pair, a, a, a uh, two serviceable searwalls. And I'm like, okay, does he own two of them? Is that gloves? What are we doing here? What is this? This doesn't help me. I have no idea what's going on and nothing is helping me. Yeah. All right. Well, I want to talk about the races. Uh, so we start the races off with the Andwar. And now the Andwar are dwarves. They're dwarves. Because in this game, well, there's there's two dwarves. So here's the thing: dwarves and orcs exist on sort of a scale in this game, and these are orky dwarves, while the other race is dwarvy orcs. Yeah. I'm sorry, I've got it backwards. These are dwarvy orcs. The other race is orky dwarves. Yes, because so, one is, oh, we're stout and burly, and we've got some tusks, and oh, we like to fight. And the other one is, we're stout and burly, and we've got some tusks, but we like to work. You're like, okay, good. And one of them is comically stout, like Warcraft dwarves, while the other one is vaguely stout, like real-world dwarves. Yeah, so one is, ah, we're basically orcs with some dwarf nonsense, and the other one is, we are dwarves with some orc nonsense. Yes, so those are the Antwar and the Suvik. Now, something that's... Um, Yes, the Suvid. Now, the important... The Suvik, by the way, the only one... This race has been boiled in water... (laughs) At 102 degrees for three days. Ah, yes. These sous vide dwarves. Nothing quite like some dwarves that have just been kept at slightly above room temperature in a wet bag. Mmm. <laughs> That's good eating. So, uh, so the I forget if it's the Andwar or the Suvik, but one of them used to be known as the Dwargs, or the Dwarves, basically. Yeah, so he basically acknowledges that these should be called dwarves, because I've just made dwarves again. Yeah. But... Dwarg is a derogatory term, and if you use it, then they will be upset because that's uh, their slave name, effectively. Yeah, it was. They used to be enslaved and forced to mine. So if you call them dwargs and think that they are all miners, then you are racist, sir. Yeah, that's like if Shadowrun was like. So the elves of Shadowrun are called Falalalalalas, but if you call them elves, they'll beat you up. It's like uh, you're okay, buddy. Too edgy for you. I get it. <laughs> I understand. Yeah. Okay. That's good. Yeah. So uh, just use the shorthand. If you're going to make a game that very clearly has dwarves, elves, and ogres in it, just call them that. I mean, at least you're not with fooling anyone. Their elf equivalent is called the Sill. Yeah. And I can at least get that it's just a shortening of like Sylvan, and that's definitely associated with elves but andwar is just i i i threw some words together it's and dwarf and dwarf yeah that's what it is that's all suvik i've got nothing and the rest (laughs) so so let's go to the sill the sill are elves uh but they're actually kind of a neat idea they're like half elf or half like okapi or gazelle or something the the further you get on the elf scale because there is a scale of how elfy you can be yes and the scale of elf prey animal you become yes so basically the scale of elf where where the other one's on an orc dwarf continuum this one's on a human antelope continuum (laughs) so a, a regular sill is mostly human slightly antelope none of them have horns by the way that's not part of it 
Uh, it's just that their ears are up on the top of their head and have that sort of like scooped, uh, I can twist my ears around and their eyes are slightly more further apart further apart yes. because they are just more prey animal the more you get yes now you also have ebon sill so you can have drow but they are not dark of color they just live in dark places well thankfully at least this one gets it right with oh they live in caves all the time they are completely albino white and hate being in the sun because you don't get to be completely black by being under there. Mm. You're going to be completely white because you don't need any pigment. But they're called Ebon Sill because I guess Ivor Sill sounded bad. Well, because he needed them to be dark elves, and he yeah. was like, oh, what's another word for dark? Now, if you go all the way over the continuum towards antelope, you get the the, the uh, species in this game you can play as that literally cannot participate in combat because their brains do not understand how to fight, and that, of course, is the Trug. Yeah, they have a species-wide thing where even being, like, confrontational makes them uncomfortable, and they literally cannot fight. Period. They're basically fainting goats. You've got humans, and then you've got a human variant called the Rolen, which they might as well have just said ogre or, you know. But they're not ogres. They're just fat humans. They're bigger. They're bigger than humans. They're about a head taller and about a head wider. Yeah, it's not like, oh, I'm an ogre. It's just, I'm big man. They're just big dudes, and they're green, and they want you out of their swamp. (laughs) Their swamp thing? (laughs) Well, yes, their swamp thing. That's what it was. That's what I was trying to go for. Thank you. Good. Yeah, I was trying to bring was trying to jolly green giant? (laughs) Special guest writer Darwin Cook. (laughs) All right, so after that, you've got the Numid, which is maybe the only interesting species in the book because it's kind of interesting and original. Uh, They use book gill sort. No, that's right. It looks like they use book gills like horseshoe crabs, but actually their their cranial anatomy is far dumber. Well, yeah, they have a bunch of cranial ridges, so they have like bony plates. They look like Drenai. They have at least three plates, Mm -hmm. but you will have definitely more than that, and in between each one... Their veins are, like, exposed to the air, but are normally cloaked by the bony ridge. Yeah, so they make shade on their own heads. And that's how they cool their blood. Yeah, they cool their blood by creating shade on the top of their own heads with their bone plate, and then letting blood get to the surface up there into the shade where it will suddenly cool off. Yeah. Uh, So they, like, vent heat through their uh, bone ridges uh, which also they breathe I'm like sure fine also they both breathe and make noise through there even though they have mouths and noses yeah i mean it says that they can like absorb some oxygen through there like they still breathe normally but their head nonsense can absorb some breath but then they make noise if they get real good at it yeah some of them actually sing with the tops of their heads also, they store water in special body cavities, like camels do. Yeah, okay. Uh, well, yeah, and most interestingly about the Numid is that they have an interesting pluralization system. They don't do uh, they don't do just adding s's to the ends of their words. So if you have more than one Numid, for example, you have a Numid Numid, and then three of them becomes Numid Numid he. <laughs> Good. Thank you. Thank. Okay, moving forward. Uh, after the Numid, you've got uh, the five Numid. <laughs> Jerry. <laughs> You've got the Jerry. You got the Jerry's. Now the Jerry's are <laughs> the Germans in World War One. Uh, they're just transported into this game directly. It's why I have a gun in case the Jerry's attack. <laughs> it's the Germans. Okay, so the next thing is five different kinds of half breeds, as they say. Yeah, and it's it's weird that they 
they mentioned like, oh, there can be other types of half breeds, but they said we just it, got five well, here. Yeah, they say that any species in this book can cross with any other species in this book, but here are five half breeds for you to look at. So the matrix that they give us is uh, not listed as a matrix. It's just so the first one is Bahirs, which are a, a mixture of Suviks and Trugs. Yay! Now, it's it's the some, especially some orcs short, and some deer. The especially short fat dwarves mixed with deer. Yay! Then you've got the Drun, which is a mixture of Roland and Andoir. So it's half orc, half fat guy, big human. Uh, and then there's two others, I guess. Three others, I guess. I don't know. There's Numids with Sill, uh, Roland and Sill, and uh, Sill and Andwar. So them Sill are getting around. Oh yeah, well they're elves because elves. Because it's one of those things where they're like, oh, these are humans that kind of look like prey animal, but everyone thinks they're sexy. Well, no, you they might, don't. You I'm might, sorry. You might think we're done because we just went through like the you know like the half elves. That's usually the end of this, right? Yeah. You're like, oh, and here's all the those races, and then the mixing of them. We're okay. done. So here we go. There are seven more races. Well, and th- thankfully, they're just two big groups, which we can split down and talk about. The first one is the Lothod. Oh, sorry, the Loshod. The Loshod are horse people. There are four of them. There are four different species of horse people. And for at least three of them, I can tell what the pun name on them is supposed to be. That's correct, yeah, because you have uh, you have Arben. Which are the Arabians. Yeah, you have Clistal. Which are the Clydesdale. Clydesdales. You have Pluse or Plucka. The the Pluse, I do not know. And then you have Pendo. Which are Pone. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> you really reached on that Pone, didn't you? That Pone. Pendo. So, so yeah, there's there's four different kinds of horse people, ranging from little short ones that are like three and a half feet tall to super giant Clydesdale ones. Yep. Before you start thinking that, oh, this is kind of furry-ish, the art of these things is straight up terrifying. Oh, they're great. I actually really like the art in this book's them fun. because you normally don't get horse people as a thing no the next one you always get which is cat people there, which is coming up so there's mirlik now mirlik that's m-y-r-l-i-h-k uh, are cat people predominantly female of course because yeah, it's a matriarchy matriarchy more females than males in the species Ma- and the women are the ones who actually go out and like hunt and do things yeah you don't ever see the males and they all wear short skirts and they're all constantly cleaning their faces with the sides of their hands yeah and they uh, all work as maids for some reason. <laughs> They're in cafes. I don't know what's going on. Uh, yeah. So they come in Osov, Vohin, and Osik. Which I I can explain the difference to you, John. Okay, great. Would you like me to? No, I would not like you to. Because well, well, I know what you're about to do. Because you see, in the only time in this book that this happens, there's a poem about the races of the of Mirlik. Thank God for that. So here we go, everybody. Please please. Sit back and enjoy the Mirlik Song of Union. <laughs> <clears throat> different people, different faces. Hearts the same, yet different races. Osav, the leaders, true and proud. Flowing mane, roaring loud. Vohin, the warriors, fierce and cold. Stripes aglow, ever bold. Osik, the shadows, swift and still. Spots hidden, silent kill. Bone and sinew, tooth and claw, mane and stripe and spot and paw. All as one, deep inside, in our wildness, see our pride. Good. So they're lions and tigers and leopards. That's that's what they are. <laughs> I can't. That, so that's the races. The cultures are boring, and I'm not going to go into them anymore well, than the I cultures have to. are all, you come from this race's culture, and then there are a couple that are, you, you are from this city, or... You are from a few of the things that are 
uh, actual weird offshoot stuff that has nothing to do with the race, like the Yethites are a group of people that are all super pacifistic. Uh, I mean, normally there's a lot of Trug in there. Mostly Trug. Because Trug are just pacifists because they are true. I mean, it literally says typical race Trug under them. Yeah. But, but you can anyone can be one, and yeah. no one's going to stop you, because what are they going to do, beat you up? They're Yethites. Yeah, the Yethites are accepting of everyone. They come down into a village and, like, help out, and they don't accept payment. They're just super rad, holy pacifist people, and... The only way that they manage to survive and not just get murdered by everyone in this ridiculous murder game is because the Cha'ak, which is the... Uh, the fierce warriors, mostly Suviks. The Suvik and Andwar, we are badass uh, warrior culture, is they think the Yethites are holy, and they're like, oh, we protect them. Normally, anytime there's like a band of Yethites... There is an entire, like, group of chalk cavalry next to them. You know, John, I've been feeling pretty Yethite recently. Oh, are you Thor? <laughs> well, at Earth. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, there's these cultures. Each one of them provides... There are nine stats in the game divided into three blocks. The blocks are the flesh, the body, and the spirit. Yeah, and the flesh is the standard three that you get for that. You got strength, dex, and stamina. Woo! Yeah, and then the spirit and the body, or the mind, are pretty much what you'd expect from them as well. With the difference being that the spirit has sanity in it as opposed to where it would normally be like, uh, like I forget what the other one would normally have been. Well, you get intelligence and sanity and insight. Yeah. And then you get, like, resolve. I can tell you. And, uh... uh okay, so... Charisma, insight, resolve are the spirit, and the, and the the mind is intelligence, perception, sanity. Perception, that's it. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, so nine stats divided into blocks of three, uh, and and each one of these is also going to give you uh, some skills that you get at ten percent each. Uh, just keep that in mind. They'll be cumulative with other skills you'll add together later. You'll get you might get some from your race. You might get some from your your you will get some from your culture. You'll also get several from all three of the careers you have to take. Uh, and also, right here, this is one of the best parts of the examples of layout in this book. Uh, uh, it's we have so th- annoying. We have three equal pil- pillars of race, culture, heritage, or I'm sorry, career. But somehow, between two and three, they decided to put the merits and flaws system right there. Yeah, it was okay. Uh, you get three different dice for your character. Each one of these is like the three things that you need to make your character. So after you pick your race... And your upbringing, and now here's some merits and flaws system that goes on way too long. Anyway, here's your your uh, class. I have never hated a merits and flaws system more than this one. This is the worst merits and flaws system there has ever been in a game. Not only is it, just editorially speaking, in the worst stupid place possible, where it just sort of pops up in the middle of you telling you how to create a character instead of at the end where it should be, because normally you would get points to spend after you are done making your character, and you would use it on these merits and flaws. But no, they're, they're like, ah, here it is. We'll just throw it in the middle of this. So all three of the pillars that make up your character creation might give you some quality bonus points, what they're called quality points, that you can spend to purchase things in the merits and flaws system. You can spend them to purchase extra die rolls of attributes you might have. You can purchase them to buy extra uh, die rolls of skill points you could spend. Uh, but most importantly, there are a variety of tables called things like aggression, uh, tonality. Uh, they're called special attributes. Yeah. Uh, now, normally, you would uh, think that all of these would be, the more points you put in them, the better. So you'd you'd get your standard, you know, 
white wolf or any merit and flaw thing where it's like, oh, for one point, it's sort of a piddly thing, and then for three points, it's much better, yeah. and so on. In this, you, you're t- basically gambling when you go into these. So if you want your character, for example, to be ambidextrous, you would assume a normal character is, you know, oh, I'm right-handed, whatever. I can, yeah, I can you fight. pick a hand yeah. to be yeah. and, and whatever your main hand is, and then you have your penalty to offhand. Now, if you would invest any of your quality, your special quality points, which come in the form of dice and bonus points, but you can't spend dice until you choose what you're rolling on, them on, yeah, so and then roll. Like, my race might say, oh, you get a D6 plus two in quality. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, so I can take that, go to one of these many things, because they'll have... Usually between like one to seven or one to twelve for the ratings, and you roll the die and any bonus you get, and you get that many points into it. So let's say I want to make my character kind of a berserker type, but you know I'm not really hugely invested in making him a berserker type, or I don't have that many points to spend. I just want to know that my character is kind of a raging berserker. So I have a D four plus one points, and I just I choose to invest that whole my whole D four plus one into aggression. I get lucky. I roll a five. My result says. Five, situational aggression. You may attack and defend as the situation requires. You may only initiate combat if you are directly threatened with violence. So so you, it's worse. It's worse. If you didn't invest in aggression at all, you would be able to attack whenever you wanted to because you wouldn't even be on this scale. It's not like you'd be a one on the scale. You would literally not exist adjacent or in relation to it. You only It, it only exists in your game universe if you choose to roll on it. Now, let's say I wanted to be ambidextrous, and I kind of messed up, and I only got two. Tell me what a two is on ambidexterity. So, for example, if you rolled two on 2d6, like you threw a lot of points in there. Sure, a two in ambidexterity is severe offhandedness. You have an extremely dominant hand. It can be either left or right, your percentile dice. On a 75 or lower, your character is right-handed. The other hand suffers a minus 33 SV and a minus 4 ED. Most tools are made for right-handed people, and the bard is bard, by the way. The, the ST is called, or the game master is called the bard. Uh, it may be free to, to uh, imply even further penalties on you for using right-handed tool or left-handed tools in a right-handed world. So if I do not put any points into this, and it even shows up later in the game, you pick a hand to be your dominant hand. Normally, your offhand is like minus 30 to your skill. It's about minus 25, because this is minus 33. Oh, yeah. It's minus 25, actually, yeah, yeah. to the skill, and then uh, a minus 2 to the, your effect die. So if you invest your resources on this off on this ambidexterity table, there's a reasonable chance you will come out worse than if you hadn't. Yeah. And this is on a few of the things in here. Some of them, this is my f- aggression, the one that I started with, yeah. is my favorite, because the beginning is, you're a total pacifist, you can't fight at all, and the end is, you can never stop fighting, you're completely bloodthirsty, and your friends are going to have to kill you. Yeah, there's you know, a point where you're like, man, if I invested too much into this, then I'm fucked up as well. Uh-huh. And this goes on for page after page. You've got aggression, alertness, ambidexterity. You've got appearance, articulation, awareness, communication, demeanor, deafness, direction, empathy. Every one of these starts with you being worse than if you hadn't touched it. Yeah, if I get appearance and I get a one in there because I rolled shitty, like I had a D4 extra points and I put it into that. I rolled a one. I'm ugly now and it sucks. Oh, good. Great. I'm glad I spent bonus points on that. Whereas what everyone would do is go over to the extra attributes, and even if you roll a one, you get one extra bonus point to put into an attribute. My favorite is presence. If you roll a one on presence, it says you are invisible. No one sees you, and people never pay attention to you. This gives you no bonus to sneaking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the book 
has a lot of shit where it's just like, hey, let me just punish you real quick. Just a second here. Fuck you. Oh, yeah. Okay. Let's move on to careers, and then we can finally get into the tone. And these two really kind of come together as one, because careers are where you finally start getting introduced to the concepts of critical failures and critical hits using what they call the trinary rolling system. The trinary rolling system has you rolling percentile dice to get under a target number to succeed at something with an additional D10 that's simply a range of the effectiveness of the thing that you, if you happen to succeed. Yeah, so even if, say, I had a 90% skill in something, and I roll like a 12. So, boy howdy, did I succeed. I didn't critically succeed, though. So, I look at my effect die. I got a 1. All right. However, if a dude who has like a 20% in it rolls a 19 and gets a 10, he did way better than me. Yes. So, it doesn't matter how good you are in a skill as far as the measure of how good you will be at doing it when you accomplish it. Now, this is another example of... If This is us playing as mudlarks, effectively. We're digging through shit to bring you little glinting treasures. And if we were to find another copper piece in this poop pile, it would be that uh, you can spend your success dice in exchange to buy your effectiveness dice and so on. Uh, and and well, it works. You, you have a gambling thing, essentially, to yeah. start, where you can either make the skill roll harder mm-hmm. and get your effect die bonus... Or you can make it easier and take a penalty to your effect die. Yeah, and then after you've rolled, you can trade points of effectiveness for subtracting 5% from your your, uh, uh, success roll. So uh, that's a neat idea. Of course, it bogs down into the problem where every time you fail, you immediately have to do the math problem of, oh, do I have enough effect dice to to make this a success instead? You look at it and you roll, and you're like, okay, well, I rolled a 50, but my skill's only 30, but my effect die was a 5, so I could technically get 20% off of that so I could turn that 20% off of this which puts me down to you know, like okay every roll unless you succeed is an immediate all right what's the percentage that I need how many points off of this can I do I mean it's not like it's a hard math but it's dumb that it's it, it would take so long but it bogs literally every roll down yeah now critical successes mean that you have to roll less than 10% of the difficulty on, on the uh, of your skill of your skill. So, so if, if you have I have like a, a forty, I have to roll a four or less. Yeah, uh, and it doesn't matter what your effect die is in those situations. Critical failures are if you roll three zeros. Yeah, and uh, here's the thing: that's a one in a thousand chance. But I'd say that thirty percent of this book, by weight, is given over to the, to hilarious cartoonish descriptions of what critical failures do. Well, I mean, every time. He introduces a concept in this. There is, of course, that little, all right, let me give you an example. And I would say in pretty much all of them, there is either a crit success or a crit fail. Yes. And the entirety of one of the spellcasting traditions, the the K or the key or whatever it is. The Jedi, effectively. Q-A-I. Yeah. Uh, that one, for every single spell effect you can do... It tells you what a critical failure is. And well, it does. Every single time you have to roll trinary skill, it tells you what a critical failure might do. Oh, no, not for the skills. The skills are just oh, no, these sorry. are skills. Not skills, but, but literally every time you have to roll a trinary advancement. So, for example, if you'd like to, to be promoted within the class that you're leveling in, oh, yes. a, a, anytime you try to cast a Maroque spell, uh, there are uh, hundreds of descriptions of critical failures in this book. Yes. And the fact that. The chance that this will happen is... One in 1,000. One in 1,000 means that the page count given over to it, when it could have just said, 
if you roll three zeros, you fuck up. The, the bard will tell you what happens because that may as well be it. But they had to like codify, especially for spells, that once you roll something, instead of it being like, oh, I critically failed at, you know, trying to make myself appear beautiful or more charismatic, instead of having a critical failure just be like, oh, you fucked up and now you aren't, like, you're, you're ugly now, it has to have a specific, like, you are currently minus 17 to your charisma skills, and you get a minus one ED on, like... Uh, also, uh, that particular spell, the one to make yourself more beautiful, has a little smug aside in the critical fail that's like, ha, obviously you're using this on yourself, why would you ever cast it on anyone else, dummy? Yeah. It's like, I don't know, well, because this I, is... I like to fuck hot people, maybe? Well, this is getting into the tone of it, where... It is a smug jack-off for most of this book. Oh, it is infuriating, the tone. But let's get to the tone after we finish talking about the careers. The starting careers are a dismal run through shit. Oh, it is your classic shit farmer. Yeah, every single one of them is like, literally, it's like, uh, oh, you're a soldier. You're the worst soldier that ever existed. You're not fit to carry the spit of a real soldier. Yeah, there's, I mean, most of them are just, what are you? Oh, I'm a doula. I'm a farmhand. I am... I'm a guy who is, like, a assistant to a merchant. Like, I'm not even a merchant myself. Yeah. I just help out. I'm a pallbearer. Oh, good. Great. I can't wait to go on an adventure. Uh, you're not going to. You're going to carry dead bodies. Like, that's what oh, you do. Oh, right. I forgot. Yeah. There's so many things in this that there's only the krill, which is their version of a fighter. Who has, by the way, a sisme, a pair of, a pair of sturdy <laughs> serwalls. To some gulaks, uh, uh, some a goulash. A, I believe a gosmek, or no, sorry, it's a gomlek, a booze bay, yeah, a, a, a wimdosh, yeah. They have a lot of a lot of equipment, but the <laughs> that's the only one where you're like, oh yeah, you get fighting skills. Otherwise, it'd be like, oh, you took blacksmith as your primary occupation. You are a blacksmith. Like that's it. You're done. Congratulations. So here's something else. I, while we're talking about the Krill set, one more, one last thing I really want. I cannot forget to talk about this. There's a gear roll that you make when you're a Chaak Krill, which is a D4 minus one for your gear. Mm-hmm. Now, that does not correspond to the amount of gold you start with or quid, as they are known. And it's also not a thing where you'd go like, oh, if you get a zero, you don't start with anything, but maybe you might start with something extra. It's just four entries on a chart, and the, the zero is admittedly, it's like the clothes on your back and the weapons that you have and, and a, a, a bedroll and stuff like that. But it's there's no numeric value to it. They may as well be labeled A, B, C, and D. Yeah, it, it is a chart that is zero to three instead of one to four. For, for no reason. For no reason whatsoever. Yeah. That is... Man, that is most of this book, which is, <laughs> we did a thing for no reason, except that it makes it look more like uh, I'm being mean or punishing, and that's what we need. It looks like you got fucked over. That's what they wanted to convey, is is even if you really didn't, it's like, you probably got fucked oh, over. Oh, man, you rolled a one. That means you got zero. You're fucked. And you're like, no, that'd be the same if I rolled a, a one and there wasn't a minus one. I don't... There's no point to this. this. It's, there's no point. There's no reason to do that. The Emperor has no clothes. This game makes no sense. <laughs> okay, now we can really get into the tone. Because it, it's just, there's just about 40 bullshit classes. Which, by the way, each one of them, like we mentioned, comes with a stat block. Uh, that, that or, or Sorry, there's whole categories of them that come with stat blocks. Like thief, or, or criminal, gangster, and then it has a stat block, and then a bunch of different types of gangsters. Well, yeah, because if you go to the worker subclass, 
you'll get things like, oh, I'm a farmhand or I'm a pallbearer or whatever. People who work for a living, the dirty jobs of the world. The servicers, yeah. People out there who are the real Americans. Sorry. <laughs> Pipe fitters. <laughs> coal miners. Yeah. So when you pick that, you get your stat off of the generic thing, which is just worker. And then you get your skills off of the specific thing. So you'd be like, okay, I get my pallbearer's skills, mm-hmm. but I get the stat off of worker. Now, granted, they there's a huge section, about five of them, which have no class uh, stat rolls at all. Uh, because he forgot they to, fuck up. They forgot to put in criminal thief as a stat block. They just fucked up and forgot it. Yep. Uh, this happens constantly. Uh, he constantly forgets his own the, the or the authors of this constantly forget the dumb words they made up and substitute other dumb words, uh, including respelling corn, which is the language that they added to the book, to carn uh, dozens of times. Uh, constantly renaming their own two hundred and eighty one skills into other two hundred uh, other names. Yeah, like. There was a point where you go, oh, he meant to say, like, instinct, and he instead put, like, institute, and he's just fucked up so many things. Whoops. So, anyway, uh, let's get into tone, because the careers are just boring. So The, the tone in this book, if at first, you don't realize It's a hot turd it. on a beach. Well, I mean, when you first start reading it, the beginning of the book is just like, hey, guys, welcome to my book. And much like, say, Haven, City of Violence, when you read it, the very first page, you realize, oh, it's one dude who is everything. Yes. He was the writer and the producer and the assistant editor and the art director and the and it just goes on. You're like, oh, oh, I get it. This is all one dude's baby. And he has opinions on how to run a game. Oh, boy. I mean, we okay, there's, there's several different stories we can tell to help convey the possible tone of this book. We might as well start with the one that's on the first page of the How to Be the Bard, because I feel like that one really is a good table setting. That gives you the baseline of what this guy thinks. Yes. So I'm not going to go and read it directly. I'm just going to give you the gist of it. But it's basically he says when you are the the bard, there are two things you two ways you can play the game. You could be permissive, uh, or or you can be hard and direct, and you can you can control the game. You have to keep a firm hand Uh, if you. It, yeah, it, he's basically saying, like, spare the rod, spoil the child for your RPG group. He says if you don't have a firm enough c- grasp of your or control of your players' actions, they will become, and this is a direct quote, spoiled brats. Yeah. Oh, boy. I let the players go on the adventure they wanted to go on. Now they are spoiled brats, and they will expect to have fun every time they come here. Dear writers of every role-playing game from the late 80s and the early 90s and the 70s and so on, you are not playing the game with your own infant children. (laughs) The people you are playing with are close to your own age, or they are at least adults. They will not become spoiled brats based on your actions, you pompous asshole. Also, let me just say... The whole point of it is like, oh, if you're if you're too mean, then they won't play anymore. But you've got to be just mean enough to your players, because if you're nice to them, then they're spoiled brats and they'll just walk all over you. And I'm like, in what way do you think this will happen exactly? Uh, listening to just you say that sentence is like, how often should I slap my wife? Yeah, it is. Boy, y- you know, you don't want to beat your kids, but you should spank them. And you're like, that's you don't understand what you just you see. <laughs> yeah, I just stop. You shouldn't try to control the behaviors of people. Uh, it's unnecessary. If, you're, if your players become spoiled brats, point it out. If they won't stop, stop playing games with them. 
Why is it always role-playing games? Ugh. You never see this advice with like intramural basketball. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, I'm playing basketball down at the JCC, but I got to ref harder because some of those players are turning into spoiled oh. brats. As a coach, I was too nice to this player, and now he's a spoiled brat. <laughs> what is happening in role-playing games where they think that, that population and uh, personality control is the job of one of your friends? Yeah. Hey, Jim, you mind running this game and also making sure that I do not cry on the floor? <laughs> Try not to cry. Cry hard. <laughs> just, just stop it. So, okay, let's get into some personal stories from the game, shall we? So, my very favorite, mm-hmm. and I think it is also probably your favorite. I have three favorites. I'm going to go with the climbing one. Yeah, that's a very good one. Is the example of, not only are we going to get into that... Uh, point where we were talking about where he brings up critical failures all the time Mm -hmm. but also how much of a dick bag this guy thinks you should be Mm -hmm. so he's talking about someone doing a climbing role and oh no they made a critical failure on their climb role player character's name by the way is literally like goofus and he's not supposed to be good at climbing so the problem is he prepared for this he tied a rope around his leg because he was like, oh, I'm not good at climbing, so I'm going to make it so that if I fall, I'm actually attached to the fucking cliff so I don't die. Yeah, let's start right there. This character is supposed to describe as not being good at climbing, but the first thing he does is a smart climbing thing, which you'd think would be controlled by whether or not he made a good climbing role, but instead it's described by whether or not the player said anything. And that's fine. It's fine. It's not. But no, go ahead. No, for me it's fine because I'm like, I'm shitty at climbing. My climbing would be nothing because I have no upper body strength and I'm terrible at climbing. However, I know to secure myself. Yes, your role in climbing would be such to tell you not to try and climb the, bil- the, the hill. <laughs> yes. That's how, that's how low you'd roll. You'd be like, I rolled a zero. Uh, you look at the hill and decide against it. <laughs> I look at that and go, no, nah, I'm good. Yeah. But because he is climbing and critically failed, but oh, he outsmarted the bard, well... The Bard has other avenues to get at people. Yes. And it says that, okay, well, you fall and the rope catches your leg and you slam into the mountain and you take some damage. However, because you fell, it throws the other two companions you have with you off balance and they need to roll and see if they fall off. And it's an extremely hard roll. One of them fails. He falls and instantly dies. He just... No chance this is, is an, dead. This is another player character. Yes. These are two other player characters. Yes. One of them fails a hard roll and dies. The other succeeds and dies. He succeeds, hits a rock, and bleeds to death before Goofus can get to him. Yeah. He he succeeded at the roll and then bled to death within minutes. So let's talk about how we could have done this in a not shithead way. Your character <laughs> sees... So take this situation and don't. Yeah, so here's let's let's talk let, let's let's gallant this goofus. <laughs> if uh, if your character critically fails at the roll, but made a big deal about how he tied the rope to his ankle, great, his ankle's broken. He takes a bunch of damage, and now he has a broken ankle. That's what the critical failure does. Oh, honestly, just a critical failure of all right, you fall, you slam into the mountain, you know, you take some damage, whatever. That's fine. And as far as like, oh, it's a critical. Great, maybe you snapped a leg, maybe you just fucked up and like fell farther down. Yeah. Like you didn't die, but or, you're just more way rea- down at the bottom. More realistically, how about you couldn't climb the rope at the uh, mountain at all? That's that seems like the right one. It's it's like it's not that oh you made it so far up that it's fatal for your friends no matter what if they happen to fall off the mountain. 
It's uh, it's you got about three feet off the mountain and fell on your butt, and you look like a dumb butt, and everyone laughs at you. The end. Critical fail. No, that's the worst critical fail. The critical fail where it's you poopy you pants because you a baby. I know it's also bad, but it's not fatal. <laughs> no, I'm saying critical fails are bad, and if you're going to have a critical fail, it being damaging is fine. Yeah, because normally fine. a fail should just be like, oh, you failed to make it up. You try to climb, you realize you don't have a good grip on anything, and you sit where you are. The critical fail is you slam into the mountain and take damage. I'd like to tell another story. And this story is about magic, which we haven't talked about yet. There are two kinds of magic in this game. The actually aforementioned K, and then also Maroque. Yeah, now, the, the K, K is like healing magic. K the Maroque is basically Jedi. Is standard wizardry. With the difference being that you need to have rocks embedded in your body to cast K, uh, Maroque spells. Yeah, there are stones that you sort of channel through. Yes. So, this is the story of Daltron the wizard, who was being charged by a Dejezin. And a Dejezin is basically a wingless sand dragon. Of, oh, well, that Dejezin. Dejezin is like 12 different unrelated monsters. Yeah, but in, when you go into the bestiary, the entry for Jezin is, they're like, oh, there's like f- a bunch of different clans, and all of them are different. You're like, oh, clans. So they're basically like orcs or something. Oh, no. One's a giant rock monster. One's a little leather Batman. One is a dude who just sort of looks like a knoll, and you're like, this has nothing to do with each other. Well, it's base. It's supposed to be a uh, collab, or you know, it's a bastardization of Jean, of Dijin, right? Yeah. So it's and Dijin come in all shapes and sizes, but it's exactly the same kind of like uh, cultural race bait tourism that you also see in like the old Oriental Adventures monster books, where they'd be like Oni. Oni is like 15 different kinds of monster. There's big, scary, leathery Onis, and there's dragon Onis. And the whole time, you're like, isn't Oni just like the Japanese word for spirit monster? Like, aren't we, isn't this a book of monsters? Why, why do we need to separate Oni down in there? That's like saying, monster, Japanese monster. It's, it's unnecessary. You don't need to do that. Oh, well, yes, we do, because we know the word Oni. <laughs> yeah, it would be like someone from another place is like, oh, I made a bunch of creatures that you fight, and when I translated it into English, they're all called something monsters. Yeah, they're all called America Monsters, so you have to call them America Monsters. Yay. So, anyway, uh, Dejezin is charging this guy, so he decides to cast a spell called Rain of Fire and Stones upon it. And this is a known Mahya, so it's easier or easier to cast than an unknown or unspun Mahya, which, good lord, the magic system in this game is... Uh, it's it's it, more it, math. It's time cube. It's it's endless math. The The calculation, they're like, oh, to figure out if you do a thing... Plug it into this simple calculation. It's like, open parentheses, 100 minus, open parentheses, skill value plus, minus 20 from skill, from this skill, close parentheses, close parentheses, plus, open parentheses. And you're like, holy shit, how many calculations do I need to do for one roll? All right, so Daltron is casting Rain of Fire and Stones to halt the advance of the charging Dejezin. Uh, he critically succeeds at his role. He spins up an incredible amount of energy to fire into his rain of fire and stone strike against this uh, this charging sand dragony thing. Uh, unfortunately, he critically succeeds too hard. Not only does his attack, yes, bonk the Jezin on the head, briefly disorienting it and knocking it to the ground, but he accidentally kills his own horse and turns his own chest to stone and turns his own arm to steam. Yeah, no, the the whole thing is like, the the system of casting spells in there is you need to build enough energy to cast the spell, but then also enough energy to make it so the spell doesn't fuck you. Yes. Because he- every spell has a two numbers mm-hmm. with a slash. So this one is like 17 slash 15. 
You need 17 energy to cast it, and 15 to make the spell not fuck you in the ass afterwards. Yeah, and the second one's called, like, Surge, and the first one's called, like, Flow. So... This is an example, I don't know why they use this for their example of how spellcasting works, of an idiot wizard casting the most powerful spell in the game with, without the ability to do so, and then he critically succeeds, but kills himself. Yeah. Good. Great. You critically succeeded so hard, you blew yourself up and killed your horse. Mm-hmm. That's, I, <sighs> critically succeeding and then having the game fuck you over in books is one of those things that enrages me even more than the critical failure means you poopy you pants. Like, I understand that the critical failure thing, at least for the person writing it, is like, oh, this is as creative as I could get. Mm -hmm. Is, oh, you're a dumb baby and everyone laughs at you. Okay, I get that that's like your nightmare situation, so that's what you think a critical failure is. But when in your own game you're like, oh, I have rules for someone succeeding amazingly well they do this as well as you can oh and then but when you do that oh it fucks you over no no it doesn't don't fucking do that (laughs) so that's pretty much ubiquitous throughout the course of this book is that the tone is you're a gross spithead idiot everyone hates you you can't succeed at anything in life even if you do you're likely to get kicked in the dick immediately and it's probably the bard's idea to do so there's another direct quote that i, I that i don't know if i'd be able to find in time that but you well, know that's how- okay i have another thing i wanted to mention oh, real quick that's fine fire away my friend you can go look for that quote sure the Another one is they are trying to use their arson skill because, of course, arson is its oh, own yeah. skill. I remember that now. Uh, to burn down a barn. Now, <laughs> they are spending hours doing this. Yeah, and burning every- down a barn, by the way. And it's like literally it takes them like all night to burn down a barn. Well, because they have to like place charges. Like they're doing a demolition. It's a barn. Yeah. But they there is a skill value that they need to hit. In order to do this. And only the bard knows what that is. They're not going to know if they've succeeded enough to burn down a barn until they decide, we're done. Now we try and run away and see what happens. So, one, the hiding what you are supposed to do from your players, I fucking hate. And the whole time it's like, oh, and if one of your players critically fails because I've again decided that a critical failure shows up in every fucking scenario, you should just double the damage that they do and fuck over the entire project but don't let the players know just smile and take notes and i'm like ah i hate you so much yeah that just smile and take notes stuff must seem like so much fun when you're writing it down like ooh, i'm putting one over on the players i'm going to trick them but you're not you look like you farted yeah if you if you're if you're (laughs) smiling that smugly everyone thinks you farted if you smile like a smug jag off and then start writing notes and go "Mm mm-hmm Amazing. Yes, that will come up later. You're like, oh, you mean the fart you just did? I'm sure it will come up later. Once it hits me, I'm sure it'll be terrible. Yes, exactly. And that happens a couple times throughout this book. When they're talking about those those spells that can go wrong, it'll be like sometimes your bo- parts of your body that you can't even see might turn to steam or glass. When this happens, the bard won't tell you. Merely make notes and grin evilly. Yeah, because sometimes it's like, oh, if you critically fail and you're doing a fire spell... Why, you just burst into flames and die. But if you're doing plastic, maybe your arm turns to plastic. What does that mean? Why, only the bard knows. Fuck you. Fuck you, game, forever. Okay, so, you know how every single percentile-based combat game that there, that exists has that big chart in it 
John. You know the yeah. chart I'm talking about. The chart yeah. of like, oh, it is, there is a slight mist out. You are at a worse elevation. Uh, it is raining. Uh, the lights are not great. That and I, I also love that all of those charts, they exist in basically every game. Yeah. But the ones for percentile really try and work on the percentile-based thing, and they're like, you're minus 12%. Oh, thanks. Good. That's what I needed. Well, it's just like in Palladium games where you get the skills, and you're like, what's my botany skill? It starts at 34%. And I'm like, yeah, I'm sure someone did a lot of research on what amateur botanists, how often they they usually fail about, you know, about 56% of the time. Yeah, oh, and your skill goes up at 4% a time. Good, thanks. Yeah, that's right, because it's harder to learn botany than it is to learn acrobatics. Yeah, someone someone worked on that. Yeah, that's that that pans out. Yeah. I understand. No, I, I gotcha. I, so, so, um... And this one's got that, because of course it does. But right above it is amazing. is a description of what the table is and why it's there. I had to dig this up. Uh, <laughs> these modifiers are, this is quote, these modifiers are merely guidelines for the bard. The player should note that while we provide these modifiers as a suggestion and as a guideline, the bard is the ultimate judge. He is free to alter these numbers in any way, shape, or form to fit his game world. We urge you not to toss these into his face. Characters have been known to mysteriously die in their sleep after such circumstances. Parentheses. Rumor has it that the Bard is actually the leader of the Guild of Five. You have been warned. Ellipse with one too many dots in it. Dot, Close parentheses. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> Why are we saying that the Bard is some character NPC from the game world? Oh, well, because, you see, when it describes, in describing the world, that there are Bards... And bards are a thing that exist, and everyone respects them, and they've got so much knowledge, and everyone thinks they're great, and every culture thinks they are protected and wonderful, and no one makes fun of them, and Becky goes to the prom with them. Okay, that's that's a good answer. Thank you, John. So I'm looking at the footpad, which is one of the there's there's about twelve starting career or, or uh, characters you could just play as if you don't want to make a character. I'm looking at the footpad right now, which is a thief, and he spends all three of his careers on being a thief. Uh, he has a grand total of two skills in out of I'm sorry four skills out of about thirty skills in the game that are above fifty percent. So, for example, uh, the footpad's chance to uh, read something is eighteen uh, percent. <laughs> his chance to swim without drowning is nineteen percent. His chance to sneak up on people, and again, the footpad is a thief, is forty percent. Yeah. Now I understand. You've heard me rant before about like old second edition D and D thief tables and how. Giving players a thing to roll that's under twenty five percent is basically mean, because players want to feel like they're doing something. They don't if they're if the chance is oh three times out of four you'll fail at this and it's really important that you don't, then they're not going to make that roll. They're going to find a way around making the roll at all. Oh yeah, that's- anytime you give someone a skill or a roll and you go, look, you're probably going to fail at this, and not even like a you know forty five to fifty five ratio. We're talking you know that twenty five seventy five. At that point, you go, well, I'm just not going to do it then, because we'll, we'll find a way most around of it. the time it will fuck me over. Yes. So this game is nothing but that. That's, that's, how, that's how high those skill percentages are after you start factoring in, like adding your, your attribute values to them and adding your, uh, your career bonuses. And, and any- remember, with 281 skills, there's going to be a point where they're like, oh, there's a, another uh, thing in the book, an example where they're like, oh, uh, we need to act natural because the guards are after us. And one of the characters says, oh, can I use bluff? Oh, you're not bluffing yet. You'll have to roll acting. Okay, what about con or deceit or guile 
or any of the 50 fucking other things that also mean fooling someone. How about fast talk? Nope. Which is another skill that actually exists. Yep. All of these exist in the game, but specifically the game says you cannot substitute them. Yeah, somehow, John, you're going to have to ch- you have to use chicanery on this roll. I'm sorry, I know you have a really high value in Flim Flam and Dirty Pool, but I'm afraid this is a chicanery roll. Oh, can I sub Skullduggery? <laughs> I'm afraid not, Damn. but I will let you roll it with a minus 20 SSV. <laughs> Uh, so combat in this game is a comedy of dumb errors because most people have about a 20% chance to hit each other. Yeah. John, for <laughs> so you're exa- just slapping at each other and missing wildly. Uh-huh. So just in case you're wondering what that looks like, I guess it's possible for your character to, to, to advance to advanced classes that there's a whole section in the back of the book that's advanced careers where, where they aren't just constantly insulting you. It's possible to get up there, but that's not the starting player experience. The starting player experience is you're a mud, fu- a mud fucker. Fuck some mud. <laughs> Look, you're going to go out there, you're going to find a big old dirt hill, and you're going to stick your dingus in it, because that's what you do. And ants will bite you. The end. <laughs> ants are biting your dingus. The game. Promised sands. Ants are called ants, but scorpions are called smart chops. <laughs> so there you go. That's why we didn't get into the combat system, because it's just the skill system again. Uh, the, the wound system is hilarious. Your body has 10 hit locations on it. Each one of them has a set number of health equivalent to your fatigue. Uh, there's a difference between blood he- uh, hit points, oh, yes. endurance hit points, fatigue hit points, I mental do, hit points. I do want to really bring special attention to how much blood you have is a stat. That's right. The amount of blood your character has is a stat. And I don't care if we're going long. It doesn't fucking matter. Okay. Uh, no, I'm so angry at this game. It can go long. Yeah. So let's talk about the next fun, stupid thing, which for me is the Uzmec. And I really, uh, John, if, if you don't mind, that's fine. I didn't really have much. The bestiary in the it, back of this book is mostly fine. It's good. It's actually a lot of interesting monsters you've never seen before. And not everything has dumb bullshit names. Like you do still have, you know, a, a bunch of made up words for stuff, but that's mostly fine for monsters in my opinion. Yeah. That's great. But, you know, the art in this is fine. It's good, actually. I really like the art in this. Yeah. And... You know, for most of the monsters, you're like, what is this? Oh, it's a carnivorous plant. The way it tries and kills you is it's got, like, these little thorns. And they The thorns walk around in the desert, and if you step on them, they poison you. And then when you fall over, the plant just goes over you. That's cool. True. So it's all very good. But there's one in particular that's deserving of attention, and that's the Uzmec, open parentheses, quotations, ogre, close quotations, close parentheses. That's the name of the species. Good. Uh, the Uzmec, which is very clearly just the ogre, is a very bog-standard, old-school role-playing ogre, which means that it runs into cities and rapes all the women and runs back out again, and there aren't any men. Yeah, it's, females. it's it is that very classic, the old-school orc, the ogre, all of these things where it's, what did you make? Oh, I made a rape monster. That's this, what I do. This is a tribe of rape monsters. So the Uzmec has uh, semen for blood. Would you like to possibly explain that? Does it literally have semen for blood? No, but its blood impregnates women that it falls on. So the Uzmec, when it bleeds, if the blood lands on a woman, she will become pregnant with an Uzmec. Also, if he rapes her, it's both. And these are both 100% of the time and no fail. Uh, the, The blood one is, yes. So they like to rape women. They prefer to rape women with their Obviously. with their Uzmec penises if they can. Ugh. But if they can't, then just bleeding on them is sufficient. Now, that's pretty much all the description of an Uzmec. There's like these stats for, for how good they are at hitting and so on. Then there's a one page entirely out of this book story dedicated to the story of an Uzmec. 
Now, normally when you get a little uh, a side story, it'll be maybe a paragraph. Like, you'll get a little thing where it's like, oh, here's this animal. Here's a little paragraph describing, like, a dude who came across one in the wild. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. So the Uzmec story is about a bunch of Uzmec rapists riding into a town to rape everybody. Uh, one of them gets into a hut that has a husband and wife in it. Uh, the husband valli- valiantly manages to defeat the Uzmec and chops it apart with his mighty sword. Unfortunately, he was too hasty in his chopping and blood has spilled on his wife. The last two paragraphs of the whole page description is the story of the husband cutting off his wife's head while she whispers, I love you. So abortions don't exist here is what I'm, I'm hearing. I mean, there's lots of midwives. That's there's two kinds of midwife you can play as. So you'd think there'd be some folk remedies for, for being pregnant with an Uzmec, get a little slippery elm or coastal monkey flower or something, whatever, maybe stuff a brook beak in there. But, (laughs) but but no, the, the, the the only treatment is immediate beheading. Yep. That's it. That's That's the only way to get rid of a baby. Behead your woman. So that's a whole page of the book, though. Is, I mean, I understand that they really wanted to set up that Uzmecs are, ba- are, are, you know. They're the bad news bears. They're, ba- <laughs> they're the bad news. They're the ladybugs. <laughs> <laughs> they get no respect, I tells you. No respect at all. <laughs> but uh, why? Why do I need to read that? Yeah, why do you need to give me, after you've already, in the description of the monster, said, these are gross rape monsters, and their blood can make you pregnant. Give me a page dedicated to, I don't think you understood me when I said rape monster, and then go into it. So, for a book that passes the old Jeff test, because the seduction skill in this book is straight up, uh, oh, seduction. It's the ability to get anyone to do something that's bad with you. Yeah. Anyone they, you want. They will uh, follow you to do your vice of choice. Yes. Which means... I can go ahead and be like, oh, I seduce someone, and we're going to McDonald's now. Yeah. We're getting some fucking cheeseburgers. Fuck you. That's my vice. I'm gluttony. <laughs> it's a terrible idea. You don't need to do that, John. I'm doing it. Oh, I'm doing it. I seduced that person, and, and we and, are getting burgers. And you're doing it with me. <laughs> so. You. Come here. We're going to Denny's. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Maybe I'll just get a lemonade. <laughs> you won't. <laughs> I'll get the grilled chicken on my salad. <laughs> you're getting the sampler. It's a big plate of fried brown. Oh, damn it. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe the jalapeno coins are healthy. <laughs> <laughs> they aren't. They're stuffed with cream cheese. <laughs> so, so, uh, so yeah, that's uh, this book. This that book. is this book. This book is uh, terrible. It's uh, It's mean-spirited. It makes me angry. Uh, I'm sure there were a lot more things I really wanted to tell the listeners about that that I can't, I don't remember uh, because the book's so full of words that don't mean anything. Well, it's like fucking 400-some-odd pages. It's a super thick book that has so much awful going on that trying to remember all of it is difficult. Yeah. So, with trepidation, I ask you, John, what is your favorite part of Promised Sands? I like the horse people. The horse people are neat, and they're in a culture war with the cat people. And I was like, oh, you didn't make it dog people that were fighting with cat people. That's neat. Like, okay. And they have their own, like, they're all out on the plains, and they're one of the uh, races that is very easily could have been a, like, furry, we're big dick having sex havers. But they're just like, oh, we're cool horse people. That's what we do. We're out here doing cool horse stuff. I'm like, good. Good for you, book. Thanks. All right. 
So what what is your favorite thing in this book? The art, the art that he hired some some you know jobbing artists to draw pictures of his desert planet, and they did a good job. Good job. Someone else did a good job when t- when touching this book. Yes, there's other people did an okay job. Yeah, the art is cool. It's neat. It evokes desertiness. It is rarely extremely uh, lascivious or you know. Uh, I'm not sure what the I can't remember what the word I'm looking for is here. John, help me out. Uh, it, What's cheesecake? Cheesecake or exploitative? It is yeah. not those things. The the uh, they use an interesting mix of the new species that have dominated Earth sentience now. Yeah, it's not just all humans all the time. Yeah, so you know all the pictures are of cool numids and low shot and stuff like that doing stuff, and that's sort of cool. Yeah. And what would you say is your least favorite thing in this book? Uh I'm going to go ahead and take the the skills. I mean, god damn, 281 skills, and I would say probably you could get that down to like 28, because I think every skill is 10 skills for across the board. Like, music in and of itself gets split into like 12 different skills, and all of them boil down to you can read and write music. Yeah, you can do some aspect of music, which... Honestly, if you're a trained musician, you need all of these anyway. Why do we make you write all this down? Yeah, I. you should just have a skill called musician. I'll get points in it. It's fine. Fuck you. Yeah. Uh, okay. And uh, you want to go ahead and give me your worst? Yeah, it's the tone. Yep. I mean, I figured I'd leave that for you. I know. I know you did, and I appreciate it. The tone of this book is aggressive and unrelenting. It is basically, a, it's like the whole book hates you. Yeah. No, the, the book hates you and thinks you're stupid yeah yeah it it thinks and it also most importantly it hates your friends well yeah obviously this book is like having a bad girlfriend ah this book is like having a bad girlfriend at a party and she keeps like she just sits behind you and she doesn't want to learn anyone's name and she keeps going let's go you know should leave we should leave that's that's what this book is i guess i mean i guess you could also have a bad boyfriend I, i guess a boyfriend could do the exact same thing yeah yeah, but you know you know the type of person I am talking about. <laughs> one of your friends has one of those. Yes. <laughs> so so there you go. That's what this book is. Would you play this game? Good lord, no. <laughs> like, unequivocally, no. There is nothing redeemable in this book. The system is garbage. The way that it implements the skills, the character creation... And the fact that it manages to fuck up in its own character creation such that sometimes you can't even make a character you wanted to that I I cannot possibly fathom playing this. Mm-hmm. Hey, would you? No, I don't have time. The book would take the game would take so long to play. I'm unemployed. Most of my time is empty space. And yet I could not play this game because I don't have time. No, the every role is a math problem. And some are more mathy than others, mm-hmm. and that's it. That's all there is to it. And it's just, it's unplayable. It's, I, I, I'm sure someone's going to send me a lecture about how they played this game for years. Oh, I played this in high school, and me and my friends had the best of time. It was super easy, and I have no recollection of the many dozens of house rules we had to implement. <laughs> or probably the fact that we were just straight up playing GURPS and pretending it was this. <laughs> we, we would just roll dice and say, yeah, I won. It I was had me, a I did time. it. Roll a die for how large the boobies of the shopkeep are. It was so much fun to play with my friends, and I do not realize that I was just having fun playing with friends and not that the game was hot, hot garbage. What do you mean, rose-colored glasses? I see all things from the past perfectly. <laughs> I am rational and calm. This is me making fun of our listeners. Yeah, you hear that, listeners. listeners? <laughs> <laughs> You're the worst. Anyway, List- Patreon. Listeners, we should go. 
<laughs> let's get out of here. Let's, listeners, come on. So, uh, yeah, let's talk about Patreon. Why not? For, for one second, now that we're done insulting you and everything you like, hey, how about you give us some of your money, dummy? <laughs> oh, it. I'm go- your I'm- character... Of person who wants the pat who thinks the Patreon is er- is has already been earned, yeah, is great. I'm I am basically fucking Liz Lemon's boyfriend. I am just hey, give me that money, dummy. <laughs> I love that character. <laughs> Patreon.com slash System Mastery is the home of our Patreon. If you go there and support us at the one dollar per episode of System Mastery level, you get bonus episodes of System Mastery. That's right. We spent after each one of these episodes, even this one. We make characters in this game and then come back to describe to you not only the character, but the process of making the character. Sweet it's Jesus, a, the man hours that went into making characters for this. We This is the first time we've ever done this. We made the characters before this episode because it would help us understand this shenanigan. And, uh, yeah, no, uh, my, my time is <laughs> way more valuable than a dollar to make this because it took like two hours to make a character, and I still don't know if I did it right. That's right. One dollar an hour. That's that's what we're asking. One dollar per two hours of John's work and about 15 minutes of mine because I tried very little. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just slid a page over and it said, this is my character concept. Do it for me, John. And I was like, okay, there you go. Oh, <laughs> just, just change up the work a little so it looks different. <laughs> Oh, that might be why it's an old TV guy and you just circled in living color, homie the clown stars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, if you support us at patreon.com slash systemestry, you get those bonus episodes. If you come in at the $2 level, you get another four to five bonus content episodes a month from Star Wars Stuff, our Expounded Universe podcast. Uh, so that's just something we wanted to bring out there. And even if you don't care about the books we're reading in there, the bonus content is us doing deep dives into Wikipedia learning about the dumb shit in Star Wars. So, man, it is worth it even to just listen to that. There is nothing I like more at this point in my life than waiting for someone to say some obscure fact they know about Star Wars, opening up the Wikipedia page, reading any random paragraph, and watching them wince at how stupid their fandom is. Yep. It's just the best. And I love Star Wars, so it's it applies to me. I'm, I'm playing fair. Yeah. All right, so support us at our patreon.com slash systemmastery. Otherwise, you can find us at systemmasterypodcast.com, uh, systemmastery on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter. Rate and review our podcasts on iTunes and Stitcher so that more people find out about us. And more importantly than that, because frankly, fuck iTunes, huh. uh, you should just go talk about us on all the forums and places where you talk about role-playing games. Yeah, uh, man, if, more- you're, if you're on like Reddit or something and someone's like, hey, what's a good RPG podcast? You go, well, System Mastery isn't good, but they're here. Yeah. Before you start linking Adventure Zone, consider us. We need the help. <laughs> McElroys are swimming in a pile of golden money. Fuck them. Fuck them forever. <laughs> look, I can add boy to the end of things. It's fine. Oh, we're we're RPG boys. Yeah, look at us. We're doing RPG boy times. Yay. Oh, oh I, I made horse daddy. <laughs> there it is. We can do McElroys. Whatever you want. We'll do it. It's fine. <laughs> is this what you want? Is this it? Is this what you want from me? Do you want blood? Do, do you want us to read a 400-page insult? We'll do it. <laughs> uh, well, I think that's about enough for us. Thank you, and have a great week. <laughs>